beloved congregation of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In quite a few passages of scripture, we read that we as God's children have to wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. We know the expression, but, but what does it actually mean in practical terms? To wait. In the English dictionary, I found the following definition of this verb. To stay in one place or remain inactive in expectation of something. So, to stay in one place and remain inactive in expectation of something. Just wait. You love how hard can that be under, circumstance, under certain circumstances. Even in general, general all. Hard, to more so when the pressure is on. To wait patiently. Now let me be honest this morning, that's not something that runs in our veins, does it? That's hard. Especially in today's climate, where everything has to happen quickly. We want quick solutions to our problems. Life is hectic. Therefore we can't wait, and in cases we have to, it, it often causes a lot of stress. People always seem to be in a hurry, rushed, with little or no time for quiet moments. That's the picture of society we live in, and hence we too are often in a hurry. It seems to be part of life to the extent that it can start to affect also our relationship with God. So that we find it even hard to wait for the Lord. To wait patiently, firmly believing that the Lord will provide in His time. Firmly believing that the Lord will answer our prayers. But again, in His time. In His time. That's often the most difficult part for us to accept. And the result can be that we start to despair or worse, even rebel. Or even worse, give up on the Lord. We've prayed so fervently, time and time and again, and there seems to be no change. Why does God not act? For example, in cases where children have walked away from the Lord, is this not the mighty God who said, let there be light and there is light? Why does he act? Why don't these children don't come back? Do not come back. We pray, but there remains a hardening of the hearts. Why, O oh Lord? I could mention other examples. Childless couples who dearly have to love children to raise them up in fear of the Lord, or others who have only one child who would love to have more. Single persons who like to get married, but don't see their heart's desire fulfilled. Do all these prayers go unheard? We struggle. And at times we find it hard to cope. Well, it's because of these struggles, beloveds, and other struggles as well, which many members in the congregation face. It's because of these struggles, I thought it might be good for a moment to dwell on these words. What does it mean? To wait on the Lord. So that we learn to refocus And so we'll do this this morning by listening to a le lesson which the Lord wants to teach all, teach all of us this morning. This lesson, to be able to cope with the struggles there are in life, 
There's only one answer, says the Lord. Only one answer. Give it to me. Wait on me. Stop worrying. Instead, entrust the cause of your life. It's all the worries there are. Entrust it to me. Only then you will receive strength to cope. Only then you will receive true inward peace. Wait on me. So this morning, I mean, open God's word and see what that now actually means to wait on the Lord so that we all may go home, the Lord willing, encouraged in faith, finding peace amidst the difficulties we often struggle with. And so proclaiming the gospel, I would like to focus on Psalm 27, where we meet a child of God struggling with the very same difficulties. But who at the end of this psalm also says the answer is to wait on the Lord. And so I've summarized the message of this morning's text as follows. In the struggles of life, the Lord's children, the Lord teaches his children to wait on him. First of all, we'll see what does it mean to wait on the Lord. And secondly, we'll also see that patiently waiting on the Lord bears rich fruits. So first of all, let us see what does it mean to wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, brothers and sisters, is a psalm in which we basically made two voices. First, the author expresses a strong confidence in faith. Just a few verses. Verse 1, where he says, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. You can hardly think of any stronger expression of being so confident in faith. David knows himself completely safe is the Lord. Verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, in this I will be confident. As far as David is concerned, there seems to be no fear whatsoever. Since David is assured, verse 5, in time of trouble, the Lord will hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. So this first part of the psalm, in this first part, David expresses a strong confidence in faith. It could hardly be any stronger. But then if you read on in this psalm, beloved, you meet a totally different voice. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry my voice. Have mercy also upon me, and answer me. Verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You read that, and it seems that we are all, all of us in totally a different psalm. And therefore, many a commentary thinks this can't be of the same author, who at the same time has such a strong confidence and then almost thinks that the Lord has forgotten him. You can't yell that. And so these two voices must come from two different authors. That's what you read in many a commentary. But we realize we can't accept that. And there is no reason for that either, brothers and sisters. For if you examine yourself, isn't that what, what the reality of faith is all about? I think we all can identify with this. There can be moments in our life too that we very feel feel very close to the Lord, high on the mountain. You may go out of this worship service and say, I want to hold on to this. On this mountain I would stand. 
The Lord is my rock and my salvation. Nothing can take that away from me. But tomorrow, you face the routine of life. And then tomorrow, midday, noon, you think, where is that strength which I had yesterday? Has the Lord forgotten me? That can happen. I think we all can identify with that pendulum of the clock that sways this way and then that way. Well, that Psalm 27, where David expresses these same mixed feelings. With respect to the time that David wrote this psalm, what period of his life he reflects on here, two episodes come to mind. One can think of the time during which he had to flee from King Saul, or at the time that he flee Jerusalem when his son Absalom was after him. But when we read verse 10, where David mentions that he misses also the safe haven of a parental home, most likely we have to think of the time that David was wandering around in the desert to escape the net by which King Saul tried to capture him. A time that David's life often hung in the balance, always on the run, never feeling safe. But David kept clinging to the Lord and he did not fear. He knew the Lord is there to protect me. He will make his promises come true. David did not doubt this, and that's what he sings of at the beginning of this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. He has anointed me as king. He has promised me things, and the Lord always fulfills his promises. So there is nothing to worry about. The Lord is my strength. I'm high on the rock. Now, you should not classify these words as overboldness from David's side. David knew his own weaknesses. But at the beginning of this psalm, he clings to God and feels lifted up above the dangers of life surrounding him. Life may seem to be long, one long, dark tunnel, but the Lord is my light, my salvation. Hence, why should I fear David, high on the mountain of faith? As at times we may feel as well. Despite the hardships we may be facing in life. Yet, beloved, as I already said, it often happens, happens in the life of a believer. And so, also here in Psalm 27, all of a sudden the pendulum of the clock sways in a different direction. We see this also in other Psalms. One particular Psalm is Psalm 42, one of those beautiful Psalms in which you see it's child of God struggling. And I think many in these struggles also cling to this psalm. You have there the refrain verse, Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then a few verses, verses later, this author who sits there at at the upper stream of the Jordan River, where the waterfalls come running down, he feels God's billows gone over him. He thinks the Lord has forgotten me. The same man who said, why are you disquieted? Hope in God. And yet, Lord, why hast thou forgotten me? That's Psalm 42. And you see that in many Psalms. I think that's also the beauty of the Psalms, especially the Psalms that we can identify with the struggles of these authors, because these are our struggles. Psalm 27 as well. The one moment David feels high upon a rock, so why should he fear? And a moment later, he looks at all the dangers surrounding him and he feels almost God is hiding himself from me. His face 
And that is also, David says, because that's what I deserve, verse 9. I'm sinful. Therefore, Lord, I cling to thy mercy, verse 7. Do not turn thy servant away in anger. I'd like to note here, beloved, though all of a sudden feeling very low and weak in faith, no longer on that high rock, nevertheless, we should not forget that also in the second part of this psalm, David keeps clinging to God. He cries out his heart. But he cries out his heart before the Lord. That's all the difference. See that? You can cry out your heart in rebellion. And almost be angry with God. But you can also in the struggles of life cry out and say, Lord, I don't know it anymore. But you cried out before the Lord. And that's what David does. These are the riches of prayer. When feeling low in the depths, hardly seeing any light in the tunnel, in prayer we may still cry out our heart before the Lord, telling God how we feel, and say exactly how you feel. Don't, don't pray in a nice way, but if you feel rotten inside, you say it to the Lord, because the Lord knows your heart. That's being open with God. And I can tell you, the more you are open with God and say with all respect, because God is holy God, but like a child to his father, open up your heart. Say it in terms you normally speak. You have these people that they talk to you normally, but when they pray, they go almost into a different language. Just talk to God in a reverent way, but open your heart to God. That's what David does. And that was the author of Psalm 42 does. Say to the Lord, if you think that the Lord has, that you think the Lord has forgotten you. Lord, it feels almost that you have forgotten me. See, that's, that's what David does. Cry out your heart before the God. Tell how you feel. There is nothing to hide from God. After all, as I said, he knows how we feel. He knows it already before we even tell him. And God's a God who loves us. He hears us. Even though we may have the feeling that at times our prayers go unanswered. Realize, beloved, that's no more than a feeling from your side. We sometimes have the feeling God doesn't hear us. But faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is jumping off a cliff and then know God's fiery arms are still underneath me. You can't see it, but you believe it. That's faith. And that's what we should do in, in prayer as well. It may, it may feel though the Lord doesn't hear us. But the reality is, the Lord is still there. My Father, the faithful God of the covenant, whose love never fails, who will always cause his promises to come true. Just read the Old Testament. And these are the promises we may cling to, the Old Testament. The Lord had promised, I will bring the Messiah to the world. And you look at all the sins of the people of Israel, and you think, was the Lord never fed up with it? Of course he does it sometimes. He's faithful. He will make his promises come true. As he did in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament, so in your and my life. Would he then not answer our prayers? Then we may feel low at times. But God is still there. See what David says in verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, the Lord, your face I will seek. Now the Lord's face. That's in the New Testament, God's love revealed in Jesus Christ. 
Your face will shine upon you. My face will shine upon you. That's the end of the service that you get your blessing. The blessing of the Lord. My face will shine upon you. My face. That's close. That's how close the Lord is. For through Christ, he has become our father. And so, in the depths of life, there is hope, restoration. And therefore, David says, verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So, in the context of Psalm 27, it's not difficult to understand what this waiting on the Lord means. It's a waiting full of expectation. Knowing also that this waiting will never be in vain. It's a confession of faith. Knowing God is in control. He will provide. It's not waiting on someone who in the end can't do anything for you. On the contrary. It's a waiting full of assurance. No matter how difficult the circumstances of your life may be. I also like to note that it is more that waiting on the Lord is more than just filling your mind with some soothing thoughts, as today's psychiatrists say it. You go to a psychiatrist and you feel negative. He said you should, you should dwell a bit more on the positives. Fill your thoughts with positive, fill your mind with positive thoughts, and then you will get better. Beloved, waiting on the Lord is something totally different. I don't get better when I fill my mind with positive thoughts, although I should do that. I think here of the context of Philippians 4, where Paul says, don't be anxious for nothing, but don't be anxious for anything. And then he goes on in verse 8 and 9, put this in your mind, gentleness, kindness, the positive things. Meditate on these things, he says, and that helps. But there is more to waiting on the Lord. I read a meditation last night about prayer. And it went prayed and prayed and prayed and, and nothing changed. Or somehow in prayer, he, did want, he still wanted to do it himself. And that can happen. We pray and we think, well, almost still thinking, I can do a bit myself. And he said, I learned only what prayer is all about. And he said, Lord, here it is. I surrender it to you. And now I take my hands back. That's what prayer is all about. And I think that's, that's a learning. That's, 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 that's a learning curve. That you can do that. Say, Lord, here it is. I've given it now to thee. I wait on thee. And it's not something, well, then in the end it will all come all right. It can also happen that God answers us in a completely different way than we would like to see it. According to our human reasoning, this would be best. And the Lord comes up with something totally different. Because he knows best. Trusting God. Letting go. Waiting for the Lord. That means whatever the future holds, I can be at peace. For God will always work for my good. Another aspect I would like to mention is that that waiting of the Lord may require patience, endurance, perseverance in faith. Evidence of the things not seen, I said. In Psalm 40, 40 verse 1, in the unrhymed version, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, in the rhymed version, you find, I waited and I waited for the Lord. And that's exactly what it is. And that's something that does not run in our veins, let us be honest. I mentioned that already. 
to wait, to let go. No longer being in control. Say the Lord is in control. That's hard for us people who like to be in control. And therefore it is indeed a learning curve for all of us. As it was for many a child of God in the time of scripture. Think of Moses who had to wait for 40 years before the Lord deemed it fit for him to redeem Israel from Egypt. We might say that's lost time. But it wasn't lost time. Moses had to grow up. And to learn to live out of the hand of the Lord. Like Paul, who, like Paul, who after 14 years had to go, has had first to wait 14 years before he could indeed take up his task. That's how it was. And so the Lord let us wait. And it's, it's not wasted time. It's not wasted time. We often think of, of time wasted. If you read Psalm 77, it's one of these wonderful psalms as well. It says there, the Lord kept my eyelids open. That means the man couldn't get to sleep. And he even realized, that's the Lord. And what did the man do? He meditated on the wondrous works of the Lord. And so that was not a waste of a sleepless night. See how the Lord is busy with us. And these are, these are for us, most difficult exercises in faith. Especially for us who, by nature, often are impatient. Just wait. But that's not an inactive waiting, where you just sit on the chair and wait till God does something. No, waiting on the Lord, brothers and sisters, requires a lot of energy. Faith energy. So easily when you become impatient, when God delays. Much of our trouble in life, is the result of our restless and sometimes reckless haste. Restless and sometimes reckless haste. We cannot wait for the fruit to ripen, but insist on picking it while it is still green. We find it difficult to wait for the answers to our prayers, although it may take years for the things we pray for to be prepared. Think of Israel in the Old Testament. 4,000 years they prayed for the Messiah. And then the Lord says, I will come back very soon after he left. You could say, only 2,000 years have, left, have gone. But it can be tonight. And that's what prayer is all about. And that's ardent expectation. And then leave it to God. See, we are encouraged to walk with God. But you know, God teaches us sometimes to walk very slowly and not ahead of him. So I hope I've made clear what it means to wait on the Lord. It's holding on to God amidst the hardship and afflictions of life. It's crying out your need before the Lord. And they don't get always a direct answer. And you may start doubting whether really God has heard. Why doesn't he do anything? Why does the Lord not take that pain away? People go through chemo treatment. Lord, I go through his chemo and... But why all this pain involved? Why do the, does not take it away? Why do I go mourning? The author of Psalm 42 says. Why is there this breaking of my bones? And yet the bottom line also of this psalm is hope in God. Wait for the Lord. Leave it to him. The creator of heaven and earth to whom nothing is impossible. Isaiah 40 verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
That's also the theme of Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord. So, basically, at the end of this psalm, David is back where he started. The Lord is my light, my salvation. In him I will see the light. These promises of light and life, about which you read in the Old Testament, find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the light of life. Well, beloved, all who truly wait on the Lord may always walk in this light. Then the valley you may have to travel through might be dark. But amidst this darkness, the light of God's grace still shines. And so you can cope. Then it may seem that everything is against you. The brokenness of this life, at times hard to cope with. I don't minimize that this morning. But don't despair. Wait on the Lord. Persevere patiently in waiting on Him. Then you will never be put to shame. And that waiting will also be rich fruit. That's the second point of the concern. Because one element of the text I have not mentioned yet. In Psalm 27, verse 14, it also reads that those who patiently wait for the Lord may be of good courage. Be of good courage. That doesn't mean that after having waited for the Lord for a long time, without receiving an answer to our prayers, a solution to our problems we may be struggling with, that we now get the advice by basically throwing back at ourselves, wait for the Lord, and now being thrown back on yourself, be of good courage. That's surely not the meaning of these words. Instead, brothers and sisters, these two go together. To be of good courage and waiting for the Lord are a unity. Two components, the one being the fruit of the other. The same two components are also mentioned already in the text which I just mentioned from Psalm from Isaiah 40, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strengths. Now, how does it work? Well, it all depends how we are waiting on the Lord. Somewhere I read, the fruitfulness of our time in God's waiting room, the fruitfulness of our time in God's waiting room, is dependent on our attitude and mindset in the process. So how are you sitting there? In God's waiting room. What's your mindset? What is your, what's your attitude? The same author says, fretting and pacing not only fail to speed things up, they also result in emotional turmoil. And the Lord has a better way. So what kind of attitudes should we have when we are there waiting in God's waiting room? First we have to wait patiently quietly and dependently. And that is only possible, brothers, is when we have submitted to the Lord's authority of our life. If we believe and accept that the Lord has our best interests at heart, that he will work everything out for our good, then we are able to rest in whatever method he might choose. Then we trust him. Then there will be no maneuvering, manipulating, Rushing ahead, we trust in the Lord, patiently, quietly, and dependently. A second attitude required is to fully, fully trust in God's words, to trust God's sure promises 100%. God, who said, at the beginning of your life, I will be your father, providing you with all goods, 
Befeurt all evil. That's nice. We like that. Befeurt all evil. Or to use it to our benefit. That's what we don't like. And that's what we struggle with. Do you believe that? That's what God promised at the beginning of your life. I will use every evil you meet in your life for your benefit. And then to say, Lord, I believe that. I take my hands back. I give it to thee. Fully trusting in God's will. That's the only secure anger we have in life. And because of this, one of the wisest things we can do when we doubt and we struggle, to open scripture. That gives stability to your life. It will give direction also to our prayer life. When reading the Old Testament, I'm basically with reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, and you read all these idols, and yet a remnant came back out of exile. It's God's amazing grace. Throughout the ages, his love never failed. If you read that, and you say, I may cling to the same promises, you can wait on the Lord full of trust. He will do it. I think here of another psalm. Psalm 57, verse 2. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. A different translation reads, He will perform the cause I hold in my hands. The Lord will perform the cause I hold in my hands. What is that cause? My daily work. The concern that is beyond my control. Worries of my children. My battle with cancer. Not knowing what the outcome will be. Waiting yet for another test. That's what I hold in my hand. And then I may cry out to God and God will it do for me. He will perform it. That's the calm assurance we have in faith. Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, says, the Lord will go through with his covenant engagements. The Lord will go through with his covenant engagements. Whatever he takes in his hand, he will accomplish. Hence, Spurgeon says, past mercies are guarantees for the future. Past mercies are guarantees for the future. Look at your life. And he had these difficult days and he thought, how would it ever come through? And the Lord helped you to come through. Past mercies are guarantees for the future. Admirable reasons, Spurgeon says, for continuing to cry out to him. Admirable reasons to wait on the Lord, to persevere in that. Such waiting will indeed bear rich fruits. When indeed we have the right attitude, having submitted ourselves to God, having anchored ourselves to his word, we can confidently watch how the Lord will unfold it. Then we fully trust that God knows exactly what to do. Knows also the right time when to accomplish it. All we have to do is trust and obey. That's very simple. So why is it so hard? Isn't it? I always wonder, if it's so simple, trust and obey. Why is it then so hard? Now, there are a number of things. First, as I mentioned, as in the beginning of the sermon, we often live hurried lifestyles. In an action-orientated society, because of this, it's sometimes hard for us to create even quiet time with the Lord to bring our needs before the Lord. 
I often say half an hour a day. It's not much. That's the bare minimum. But to be away from your gadgets. So the mobile phone, the smartphone in the other room. People sometimes nowadays read their Bible from the Bible, from, from their phone. I think that's the worst thing you can do. That's the worst thing you can do. Why? If I do my meditations from my phone and a message comes in, what do you do? Do you leave the message alone? Or do you just carry on with meditating calls? Which is a distraction. Yeah? If you do it from your Bible and that phone is not far away, half an hour, and then meditate. See how hard it is in today's society? People live with their smartphone. Just put it away. Now, half an hour is a bare minimum. Try for an hour. That becomes already hard. See why it is so difficult to trust and obey? Forget about the smartphone. It's the Lord. Time for him, your heavenly father. So, it's because of our lifestyles that we find it hard. Our schedules are full and the prospect of spending uninterrupted Unhurried time, seeking time with the Lord, it's almost seeming impossible because at 7 o'clock I have to be there, at 8 o'clock I have to be there, and I have to schedule in a meal, and then we have to still to read from the Bible, Dad, please, not so long, because there you go. It's our lifestyle. But if you do not feed your life with the Word of God, uninterrupted time with the Word of God, then the light goes out. If those lights here in the church no longer get any power, if we sit here in darkness. Now that's your spiritual life. If the spiritual power goes off. See, that's what it is. And if you don't do that, then, then it's, your prayer life will suffer as well. So, what is your attitude waiting in God's waiting room? Another attitude that sometimes hinders us is the short-term perspective. And again, the society we live in doesn't help in this respect. Fast food restaurants, express checkouts, drive-through coffee shops, all to have it now. That's the mental mentality in today's society. And if you, if you doubt that, watch the impatience of people standing in the line of the checkout at the supermarket. Or waiting for the traffic lights. If you are not... Fast enough to get going, then the one behind you already pushed the horn on. It's on green. That's, that's, oh, everything has to be fast. Thick. However, there is no fast track. There is no fast track to spiritual maturity. maturity. Learning to wait on the Lord is often a crucial element in developing godly character. So coming to the end of this morning's sermon... When not giving in to all these hindrances, we indeed do patiently wait for the Lord. What fruit will there be? Not only for the future, but also for now. Actual fruit for today. Well, the fruit of patiently waiting for the Lord is receiving, brothers and sisters, inward peace. By letting go of things. Knowing the Lord is in control, it's okay. In one of my morning meditations I read, the strength of your faith is in direction, in direct proportion to the level of our belief. The strength of your faith is in direct proportion to the level of belief that God will exactly do what he has promised. 
Faith has nothing to do with feelings, impressions, outward appearances, nor the probability or improbability of an event. If we try to couple these things with faith, we are no longer resting in the word of God alone. That's what I said before. If we pray, then we may pray in such a way that we think, well, that is very probable that, that God will do that. But they don't rest in God's word. Then you believe in the probability of the events, and that's not faith. We take God at his words, at his words, and then find peace. Knowing that God knows best. In Jeremiah 20 verse, 29 verse 11 it says, God assures his, his people of Alton, not only his people of Alton, but also us, I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. That's what the Lord has promised us. Do you believe that, beloved? They will have peace with God. Peace in your heart. And then, if you have that peace, you will also become more and more willing to wait on the Lord, leaving it to Father, trusting Him. Because you trust that He will do good, according to His wise understanding of things. And then, when trials come, I will patiently wait to see good, the good God will do in my life. And as additional fruit, it will also be as fruit that you can give a good testimony to others. If you're always anxious, then people may wonder, what, what, does this man have faith? This sister? Why is he always so anxious? Now, I had a discussion with someone about that this week. Is anxiety sin? I said, no, it's not sin. But I believe it is a weakness of faith. It's a consequence of sin. Yeah? We struggle. So we shouldn't say it's okay. It's the weakness of our faith, and we are anxious. There is no need to be anxious. And so serving up this morning. Waiting patiently for the Lord. It still might be hard when life is hit by winds with gale force, real blows, so to speak. But then one of these other gems I come across sometimes. Not a single blow can hit till the God of love sees fit. Not a single blow can hit till the God of love sees fit. My life, your life, safe in Father's hands to believe it, to wait it, wait on it, that God will finish his plan with your and my life. Then you have peace. Again, one may think that sounds all very great, but I don't have that peace. I struggle. Why is that? I think the answer is also that we often fail to give God opportunity to work. Not realizing that it takes time for him to answer our prayers. Think back of the Old Testament. It took time to bring him a sign in the world. Being busy with this sermon, I came across a nice parallel. It takes time for God to color a rose. It takes time for God to grow a great oak tree. It takes time for God to make bread, the bread on your table, what comes from the fields. He takes the soil, then grinds it, softens it, enriches it, wets it with rain showers and with dew. Then he brings the warmth of life to the small blade of grass. Later grows the stalk and the amber grain. And finally you have your bread on the table. It takes time. Therefore we sow the seed till the ground, till the ground, 
and then wait and trust. You don't see anything, but all of a sudden, start to grow. That's how God is busy with the grain in the field. Now, we understand that principle when it comes to that grain in the field. But when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we have more difficulty in understanding that. It takes time for God to answer prayer. Of course, he could do it straight away. But it takes time to cause your, grow, your face to grow. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be of good courage. Also realizing Isaiah 55, where the same parallel is used, God's way, ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. See there how we can find peace. Waiting on the Lord. No matter how hard life can be at times. And again, I don't minimize that. Yet when even traveling through deep valleys, hold on to this truth. God is my light, my refuge, my salvation. In him I put my trust. If we did not have this security, brothers and sisters, where would it leave us? As you will think, how would I have despaired in my affliction if I had not believed that in this life the Lord would show his goodness, his protection? I would have perished in my tears and strife. And therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong and undismayed. The Lord is faithful. Why then be afraid? Take courage, for his steadfast love is sure. Wait for the Lord. His mercy shall endure. Amen.